Hello, and welcome to Dartmouth. This is a podcast where we explore some of the strange, peculiar, and often darker stories that surround the histories of Chibuktuk in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. My name is Jess, and in this episode, Joanne and Shannon discuss Mystery House. I'm Joanne Peppers, and I'm the manager curator here at the Dartmouth Heritage Museum. I'm going to tell you the story about Mystery House, or at least attempt to anyway. I've been in the manager curator's chair for about two months now, and I'm really excited by all the stories that this museum has to tell. Uh, This summer, we had on staff a virtual content technician who has been recording stories of Dartmouth's past with fellow staff and members of the community. So when I was asked to contribute something, I eagerly said yes, because after all, I love telling a good story. Uh, Like many, I'm drawn to history's mysteries. So of course, when I came across the story of Mystery House, I had to learn more. Who wouldn't? You see a map and you see something labeled as Mystery House. You're not going to just glance over it and say, oh, well, cool. You want to know, why is this place called Mystery House? So I'm going to start with some of the facts. This house is a registered HRM heritage property. It's located on King Street in Dartmouth. It was built in about 1845 for a man named Thomas Thorpe. Architecturally, it's valued as an example of the neoclassical style. And with only one other example in Nova Scotia, which would be Martok House, this is indeed a special building. Uh, The key character elements of this style are symmetry, classical elements, and a really impressive entranceway. Uh, So what makes this an architecturally important house? Well, I've just shared that. Uh, So what is what's the real mystery of this house? That would be uh, that Thomas Thorpe rented out a room in this house to Dr. John MacDonald. The doctor, alias McEachern, had arrived around 1840 from Scotland. He partnered with his half-brother, Alan MacDonald, who owned a general store and kept a post office. Now, Dr. MacDonald no longer wished to practice medicine, so he paid Alan for one-third interest in his business. Alan would die in his home above the store in 1840 after a very brief illness. Why Dr. MacDonald didn't want to practice medicine anymore is anybody's guess. Nobody really knows. Uh, But for whatever reason, he decided he'd rather go into the general store and post office business. In the years following, John continued the business after his brother passed away. Uh, But things were not going well. Mrs. Allen McDonald, we of course don't know her first name, we only know her by her husband's name, she complained that John was incompetent and John refused to disclose financial statements. While this dissent boiled, stock and equipment were disappearing. John was said to have acted strangely at some points in time. He would close up his shop on a business day, and on one occasion he left for Truro for no reason, and someone from the town had to come or had to go to Truro and bring him back by horseback. So, a little bit of odd experiences there. He was noticed as being somewhat odd in the community. In March of 1844, an auction was advertised that would sell a portion of the McDonald property. John continued to operate the post office and involve himself in, on local committees. Dartmouth does love a good committee, as we can tell by all of the different ribbons in our collection. 
So John overall was a pretty respected justice of the peace and governor on the board of uh, Dalhousie College. So he was quite involved in the community, a business owner. But that's not the strange thing. Uh, On November 30th, 1846, Dr. John MacDonald left his rooms at Thomas Thorpe's house and never returned. It was a stormy day. The snow was falling until late at night. That seems to be the only certain fact. Witness accounts differed greatly. Mrs. Benjamin Elliott, who lived on the opposite side of the street, said that she saw John leave between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m., and she just assumed he was going to the St. Andrew's Day dinner held at the North British Society of Halifax. So the last sighting was at 8 p.m. near Bald and Gibson's warehouse in Halifax. St. Andrew's Day, by the way, is a very common holiday that's celebrated by the Scottish, and the North British Society of Halifax still exists today as the Scots Society, or the Scots Group. So it wouldn't have been quite as unusual for uh, Dr. John MacDonald, being a man from Scotland, to attend the St. Andrew's Day dinner uh, held by the North British Society. Another differing account is that of Thomas Thorpe, the one who owned the boarding house that uh, Dr. John MacDonald was living in. So Thomas Thorpe was an employee of MacDonald's at the post office in his general store. He stated that John left on the morning of April or of November 30th, went to the store, put a note in the mailbag. He said that John left in a hurry to catch the 10 a.m. ferry to Halifax. He reportedly left his spectacles and stick in the post office, which was quite unusual because apparently uh, Dr. McDonald was never seen without his spectacles or walking stick. Mr. Thorpe described John as wearing his usual clothing, but not carrying anything with him that would indicate that he did not plan to return. He noted that John seemed absent-minded and troubled in the week leading up to his disappearance. Rumors, of course, swirled just as the snow had fallen that late night. Some claimed they heard cries of distress in Halifax. Some claimed they saw a trail of blood in the snow that led to the wharf on the McDonald property at the foot of Church Street. One sighting was even reported in St. John's, New Brunswick, uh, but no one followed up on this for some reason. Searches were conducted, including having the copper mines drained of water, but to no avail. An investigation was not undertaken until four years later, and it turned up no new information. The story would consume Dartmouth, and Thorpe's house would become known as the Mystery House. So what are some of the theories that people have about what happened to Dr. John McDonald? Because this will happen in any town, any community. Someone disappears with little trace. People begin to speculate. Rumors begin to swirl. One theory circulated that the doctor had used an underground tunnel system that led from the blockhouse that stood across the street from the mystery house to the harbor. Did the tunnel connect to the basement of Mystery House? Did the doctor take an ill-begotten sum of money and skip town? Now, what are the chances that this could have happened? Uh, That seems very unlikely. The ground is incredibly rocky. He would have had to dig through solid rock to connect to any tunnel that may or may not have existed. Um, The current or the owners of the home at one time Uh, indicated there was a wine cellar beneath the house, a very small one, and that there was a brick wall just beyond that. But beyond that brick wall, nobody really knows what's there. Although 
the existence of a tunnel is is uh, pretty unlikely. So in 1879, the story would resurface when a human skull was unearthed in the cellar kitchen of the mystery house. Many thought this was proof that John MacDonald was murdered in his home. However, Mrs. Mary Loner, a former occupant, would soon come forward and state that she had received the skull from the widow of Dr. John Slater and that she had hidden it in the ground many years prior to its discovery. Dr. W.H. Weeks confirmed that this indeed looked like the skull that Dr. Slater had had. Apparently, the story was that it belonged to one of the Saladin pirates that had been hanged in 1884 or 1844. So for those who haven't heard of the Saladin, uh, this was a British bark that had made voyages between Britain and the coast of Peru, and it carried a very valuable shipment of guano. And for those who don't know, guano is bat poop. Uh, the ship was best known for its demise in an act of mutiny, murder, and piracy, uh, which would begin with the murder of its captain and officers and ended with the ship being stranded off the coast of Nova Scotia on the 24th of May, 1844. And this would actually be the last major piracy trial in Canada. So the hanging of the Saladin pirates, as they would begin, become known, uh, was a pretty big public spectacle. So, of course... Uh, at those sort of instances, people like to take souvenirs. So one person happened to take one of the skulls, apparently, and this is the skull that was found in the cellar kitchen of Mystery House. Later residents of Mystery House would claim to experience supernatural occurrences, including sightings of uniformed soldiers, and those would be the soldiers that once occupied the blockhouse that was across the road from Mystery House, Items would fall from the shelves with no reason. A roaring fire in an unlit wood stove was one of the stories. And the story goes that these instances took place more commonly on November 30th, which was, of course, the date, uh, the anniversary of Dr. John McDonald's disappearance. Will we ever know what happened to John McDonald? Maybe. Until then, it's still a mystery. I am Shannon Baxter. I am the collections manager here at the Dartmouth Heritage Museum. And I just love this story. It's just got so many weird twists and turns. And it's like, once you think it's going to be solved, it's like, there's just a skull. And this is totally normal because it was part of this, you know, from the trial of the Saladins, like, yeah, but why do you have a, like, why did you bury the skull? Like, that's still so suspicious. But actually, the thing that caught my attention was they mentioned that the copper mines were drained. And um, I'm not sure if you knew if these were copper mines within Truro or possibly, I know that at one point there was a mine, a small copper mine in the Dartmouth Commons. I believe it would be the one in Dartmouth Commons. Yeah. I'll have to... I don't know off the top of my head who owned that mine, but it was like a small mini business venture. This There was like a small bit of copper that was found, and uh, they just went for it. And then there's the whole thing. It's like, well, it's the commons. Why do you have a mine on the commons? And I think there was like this big collusion with like... Well, not collusion, but basically he was bought out by Kennard and some other people who were interested in, like, the mining industry within Nova Scotia. And 
Anyway, so that just sort of caught my attention as like, oh, those copper mines. That's a good question. Is the mysterious disappearance of Dr. John McDonald connected in some way to the <laughs> copper mine industry ah. in Dartmouth? Yeah. Who knows? So many twists and turns. Yeah, like he was never on the ferry. He was in the commons the entire time. <laughs> Could this be... An instance where Dr. John, like he decided when he left Scotland, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Maybe he came to Nova Scotia, realized he just didn't want to be in the shopkeeping post office business anymore, so he just up and left. Yeah. Thought he'd leave a mysterious disappearance behind, and now he really does live, or, well, in that time, uh, he really did live in St. John, New Brunswick, and that sighting did happen. Yeah, it's very Who possible. knows? I mean, he was already on record for just leaving to Truro and having to be dragged back, essentially, so it seems like this is not a This is a form. pattern. <laughs> it is a pattern of this guy just being like, well, I'm done here. I'm going to go, guys. And people are like, wait, John, come back. You can't just, like, dump everything on your, like, uh, his, like, sister-in-law yeah, sister or whoever wanted to take over. Yeah. He didn't seem overly concerned, though. No. So. <laughs> and the fact that it wasn't investigated for four <laughs> years... That seems a little suspect to me. It seems like maybe the investigators at the time also thought that maybe he up and left with didn't want to be found. Yeah. They they noticed the pattern. Yeah, I feel that's very likely. It's like, ah, there goes John again. And then it's like, wait, it's been four years and no one's actually heard from him. Maybe we should look into it just a little bit. Right. Just for due diligence sake. Right. So, no, it's definitely a very very fun story and it's so cool that we you know at least the house still stands it does which is interesting too the mystery house remains a mystery yeah well thank you everyone for listening to our story of the mystery house and thanks shannon for that little discussion afterwards it always adds a little bit uh, to share maybe conspiracy theories who knows everyone loves a good mystery so join us next time for more stories about Dartmouth's history.